Show number 45 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. We interrupt this program to bring you a special announcement. And the special announcement is the Emmy nominations. Yay! Bill has been nominated for... Three. 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 Now, you want to tell them what his categories are and what the deal is? The first one, the most obvious one, nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, which would be Boston. That's the obvious one? Yeah. I thought Charmingness and Hottest <laughs> Guy was the most obvious one. Or did they eliminate that category? I think they eliminated They retired it with him. That was last year. Um, okay. Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, Boston Legal. Yay! And I looked at who else is up. It's Bill's. I think so. Yeah. I think he's a shoe-in. Um, and then the special, How William Shatner Changed the World, is up for two awards, the Outstanding Nonfiction Special and Outstanding Writing for Nonfiction Programming. Now, is he credited, do we know, as a producer of those or a writer of those? So is he technically up for those two, or are those just things he's associated with? That's really interesting. I would guess that he would at least be involved in the first portion, which is just the Outstanding Nonfiction, nonfiction Special. Right. I bet he's a producer on that. He probably is a producer. So um, he could potentially be having three Emmys, which is just so exciting. So you want to hear Bill's reaction? Yes. Okay, this was in USA Today. And um, this is sort of a phone interview they did. So they're just telling us the questions and his answers. How many noms does this make? Oh, who counts the Boston legal (laughs) cut-up jokes? Four. And how many wins? Two, but there's always room for one more. Where are his Emmys? We have an interior waterfall, it's true. And they're underwater being splashed even as we speak. <laughs> what did he throw them in for luck? They're <laughs> seriously by this little waterfall with a spotlight. That's amazing. That's so tacky. Uh, it must be great. An indoor waterfall is so tacky. It's so tacky. Oh I would God. love to see the inside of his house. But isn't he worried they might rust? The Academy wouldn't give me something that would rust, would they? I'm oxidizing fast enough as it is. Who spilled the beans to Shatner? I have a source at ABC. More than a secret source, it's like spring water. Actually, someone called it... Someone called... Oh, someone called, period. (laughs) Full stop. It was a little too early for me. I've just come in from out of town. When the phone rang, I thought, oh boy, it's either I did or I didn't. One of those dreadful moments. Shatner confirms that stars do get called even when they don't make the cut. They leave you hanging if they don't call. This is Bill talking. Actually, that happened one year, and I thought, oh, well, what a shame. I spent the three hours tossing and turning. When they finally did call, they said, sorry, we didn't want to wake you up. What does he make of his fellow nominees in the dramatic actor race? Alan Alda, the West Wing, is brilliant, and so is Oliver Platt, Huff. He's obviously never heard of the other two, and neither have I, so fuck him. Um, Shatner credits his easy chemistry with co-nominee Candace Bergen. Candace is up for Best Supporting Actress. That's right. For the show's success. I guess we deserve it, he jokes. To be serious, she is really brilliant and makes everything so easy. When two people like us get together, it's like old home week. Shatner wonders if the good news might give him a little more leeway with his bosses. We start shooting the middle of next week, but I have an important horse show to do. I think now I have a little more weight, in emotional terms, not protein. So maybe I'll lean on them a little more to let me go to this horse show in Lexington. 
As for Boston Legal's upcoming season, Shatner makes this bold, if not altogether true, promise. <laughs> There's lots of flatulence. You're a shoe-in for an award if you can fart well. I'll at least suggest that. But seriously, folks, actually, I have the script in my hand now as I'm driving. <laughs> so it, it behooves me not to look, he says. Shatner is happy with the idea of Matt Damon playing the new young Captain Kirk in J.J. Abrams' upcoming Star Trek film. I think it's great. The tragedy is that when somebody else is playing you younger, you're really old. <laughs> so, good luck, Bill. Good luck, Bill. We're going to be watching. We're going to be. We're looking forward to fingers. three acceptance speeches. That will be so awesome. And Boston Legal did get a bunch of other nominations um, for guest actor for Michael J. Fox and um, the guy can't. You said the guy who played Hands, and I can't remember his name. Me neither. Um, and uh, sound mixing for Finding Nemo, picture editing for Russa Ipsa, and outstanding casting for a drama series. And I think outstanding casting. Yeah. They do generally they a do really a great good job. job. Yeah. Except for that that um, Melissa chick. Yeah. And yeah. The Hobbit. So yeah. I don't know. But he's off the show, so That's they, they realize their yeah. mistake. Okay, so we now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hello, hello. Hello, Stephen Parker. Yes, indeed. Because the reason I'm ringing you is because the world wants to know how the production by the (laughs) Unseen Theatre Company of uh, Trouble with Tribbles and Journey to Babel, which you guys called Vexations with Vulcans, went. You, of course, played... Well, tell us who you played, man. Captain Kirk, of course. Is there any other role that anyone would ever want? And you said originally when you were going to start that you were having trouble with where to put the pauses. Did that come to you in in the Shatner way? Yes, I actually think I ended up channeling him a little bit because I found pauses throwing themselves into spots that I had no idea they were going to come up in. So share us, Stephen. What's the secret? I'm actually still not sure. I, I didn't stop studying all the tapes and all that sort of stuff, but I couldn't figure out how he was choosing it. I suspect he might have been channeling someone else. But That's one of the great pauses from history. A bit concerned what was going to go on with some of the technical aspects of the show. You had the sliding doors with people opening them. Did everybody make it through the door okay? Mostly. <laughs> Mostly, yeah. We had a, f- a couple of incidents where a uh, bit of a nose tapping on the door and we had our ensign actually caught in the red door halfway through uh, uh, on uh, one of the last nights. But other than that, it all went fine. That's cool. So the door closed on them a bit early, did it? Yeah, just a little bit. Right, yeah. <laughs> about halfway through. And what sort of, now how did it go? Was it a sellout season? It actually went really surprisingly well. Um, I mean, we did uh, the two different uh, styles of episodes. The first one was pretty much straight. And the second one, we hammed up to the nines, and everyone just loved the hand up version. And, of course, you were big on fighting. Now, you were saying you were going to send some red shirts, the, uh, you know, the ones that get beamed down, normally get killed, out into the audience to start fights at interval. What happened? Well, we sent them out there, but they ended up just selling snack treats. Oh. So, yeah, unfortunately, they weren't bad enough to actually start a fight. What kind of, a, what kind of an away mission is that? Uh, we're sending you out to send snack treats. Some of you may not come back alive, but maybe a bit fatter. <laughs> One of the more feeble episodes, perhaps. <laughs> what sort of people come along to see Star Trek live on stage? What, was, what did your audience look like from your point of view on stage looking at them? Quite often they were actually wearing better costumes than we were. Because, uh, you know, we had all the uh, uh, Trek fan clubs and whatnot coming down to visit. And they'd be all decked out in all their garb. And uh, it was just fantastic. That must have been a bit scary having a front row full of Klingons. Uh, just a little, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we have to remember Kirk had never seen Klingons with bridges on their heads before, so it was it was quite a novel and frightening experience. Who was the person who came the furthest away? Did you get any overseas visitors to the show? 
Uh, no, but we did have some uh, uh, folks from Queensland come down, made the specific effort. They were part of a uh, fan club up there and heard about it online and decided to pop on down, so that was great. They boo the bad guys and cheer you? Uh, yes, particularly during the uh, uh, the fight scene. And maximum kudos has to go out to Robert Andrews, our technical director, who spent literally days closeted aside editing together the tackiest, cheesiest fight scene you've ever seen in your life. It was brilliant. Oh, good. Look, look. as, as we always say, uh, whenever any of a Shatner is involved, uh, live long and goose me. <laughs> live long and goose me. Hey. I, I like that. I like that very much. Welcome to show 45. Oh, my God. And what you have just heard is an interview that was sent to us by Maynard from Down Under, our good friend. And if you remember, there was a live performance mm-hmm. of a couple of Star Trek episodes in Australia, and Maynard interviewed a couple of the actors. This was a follow-up interview he did with uh, Stephen Parker, who played Kirk. Mm-hmm. And he was kind enough to send it to me, and <laughs> his note, I want to mm-hmm. read this one part of it, said... Uh, Here's the interview direct, which you are, of course, welcome to use as you butt please. (laughs) And we did butt please, and we did butt enjoy it very much. And I love the fact that he calls it the butt cast. Yes, and and many times when he writes me, he says, hi, butt girls. Yeah. So he puts the word butt into the email as much as possible. I love that. And that's kind of like his version of Kirkian positive, I think. (laughs) Just using the word butt. Well, that was great, and thanks, Maynard, for sending that along. That was wonderful. We love getting these little tidbits from around the world. Oh, I know, I know. And if there are more live performances of Trek around the world, I want to know about them. I want reports. I want videotapes. I want the whole thing. I want to go see them. Uh, Yeah, totally. Well, maybe there'll be some more stuff happening this fall here in San Francisco. That would be wonderful. That'd be great. Okay, um, let's see. We have some newsy things that we we wanted to talk about. So the first newsy thing... Let me find it here. Not that one, but this one. This was um, reported in uh, a newspaper out of Buffalo. It says Buffalo News. Now, that is not news about buffaloes themselves. No. It's just There's not a lot of buffalo There's news. not a lot of buffalo news. But there is a new podcast <clears throat> coming out called Look at His Buffalo. <laughs> and I'm sure they'll be providing a lot of that. It says, uh, the headline is, Lawyers Misleading Ads Overruled. Catchy nicknames, embellished testimonials, banned in state's extensive revision of advertising guidelines. So this would be in New York. Yes. It says, say goodbye to William Shatner hawking the services of lawyers on TV. Bye. (laughs) It says, bans on computer pop-ups, misleading testimony, and catchy nicknames are part of of sweeping revisions of advertising guidelines set for adoption by the state's unified court system. But the bane of most motorists, those ubiquitous billboards with the faces of personal injury lawyers looking down upon major highways, goes unaddressed. Gasp. (laughs) I can't believe they're not changing that. Um, Let's see. Among the practices also banned by the new rules approved for public comment are using testimonials by current clients, um, using claims that create an expectation of results or compare a lawyer's services with other attorneys, saying that no fee will be charged if no money is recovered without disclosing that the client will be responsible for other charges no matter what the outcome. <laughs> you didn't really think it was going to be free, did you? Um, it says, uh, besides banning actors like Shatner from hawking firms, the new rules will also prohibit the practice of lawyers appearing in courtrooms during ads. Hmm. So... Um, they're going to uh, be approved by the board. We'll have a 90-day public comment period before their schedule adoption on September 15th. Do you think Bill can sue on them, like, restricting him from earning his living? 
as a shill? Well, you know, this is only New York State, so I'm sure that um, the original place that we saw the ads was not New York. That the the, the Tony, one was Boston. Um, yeah, and Tony Sesney wasn't he in like Indianapolis or, or Cleveland or Cleveland? Something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is just New York. I'm sure Bill has. A long career shilling for lawyers ahead of him in every other state of the union. <laughs> but and is this just the first step on a slippery slope <laughs> towards banning Bill Shatner endorsements? Maybe that's what this is really all about. I think it is. It's, I think it's one of those those stealth laws. It is. Know? It's not really about the lawyers. It's about Shatner. Yeah. Because they realize that when Bill Shatner shills for you, why would you go anywhere else? That's right. I mean, people just, they go... Shatner says it's good. I'm I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. So, hmm. <laughs> we just needed to report that. Right. Um, if you ever want So, you know what oh, that yes, does yes. mean though? Bill is going to have to find new and more creative things to show for. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh man. <laughs> Um, if you ever want to see any of his his shilling, uh, go to YouTube and type in Shatner and um, <laughs> Shatner shills. I think just Shatner will get it there, and it'll it'll pop up. And they're they're really good because um, somebody obviously videotaped their television set mm-hmm. as they were playing the ads, and it's it's totally worth it to see him do these really really low budget horrible shill commercials. <laughs> it's just great. All right, moving right along, we have another newsy item, and. Um, this was in the Herald Sun. I don't know. This is actually in a lot of places, but was that's it? one of them. Yeah. Okay. So it was a little puff piece that was in like the Sunday paper, and um, it was very interesting because they compared comments from Paul Newman, who's now eighty-one years old, and I assume that part of the reason they were talking to him is because he does a voice for um, the new animated Cars. movie from Pixar, Cars. And then they compared his comments to William Shatner who is 75 years old and doing everything all the time in any ways. Including an animated, two animated films Two animated films. So uh, they both have positive attitudes. Um, The the contrast comes um, where Newman says uh, he's he's going to retire pretty soon. Um, He says, I probably have one film left in me, The Last Hurrah. His film career stretches back to the 1950s. Um, He says, it's time, when it's time to get out, it's time to get out. Meanwhile, <laughs> back at the ranch, Shatner says he loves being cool again after 50 years in show business. Quote, everything is a giant circle. I used to be not cool, now I am cool, and I am running quickly alongside so I don't become uncool again. <laughs> His career also started in the 50s. He went on to star in seven Star Trek movies with books and really several albums. Quote, I act cool, but deep inside is the same uncool person. Shatner said, laughing. And it concludes by saying, I feel at this point like a painter with a palette, and I can color and do things with dialogue and characters like an artist. I feel skillful. For the most part, I am really enjoying myself. That's great. We love you, Bill. But you know what else? The thing about that's interesting to me about Shatner and Newman having their perspective on their careers at this time in their lives, mm-hmm. lives is um, they were young actors in Hollywood around the same time and yeah. actually were up for... Many of the same roles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know Bill was under consideration to play Brick in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, mm-hmm. opposite Liz Taylor. Mm-hmm. And they were in a movie together, that horrible American Western version of Rashomon. Rashomon? Am what? I saying that right? Yeah. Where it's the same tale told from yeah. different perspectives. And I've seen it, and I'm pretty sure I forced you to watch it too. <laughs> and Bill is playing like a young preacher. And Paul Newman's in it. Really? Yeah, and I can't think what the name of it is. Oh. It's something like it the Innocent or the 
Yeah, I'm, I'm like having a memory of it now. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're Do you need right. me to get out the shit, Nerica? <laughs> um, I can look it up later and put it into the show notes. Oh, okay. No, I remember, now that you're saying it, I do Claire remember Claire Boone that. is in it? Yeah, yeah, yep. that's right. Wow, that's so funny. And uh, he's not that much older. He's only five years, five, six years older mm-hmm. than Shatner. That's pretty amazing. And when I read this, I got to thinking, you know, doing the mentally, mental switch off of, of Shatner in some of Newman's roles. And uh, they are such different, different actors that it's really... You look at any of them, you go, that would have been an entirely different mm-hmm. movie, different person. Because, like, I was thinking of Butch Cassidy. Oh, yeah. Or uh, Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> Shatner and Cool Hand Luke. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, or Cat on a Hot Tin Yeah, Cat on a Hot Tin The Chalice, which was Newman's <laughs> first movie and yep. was awful. And he got to wear a little skirt. And Bill didn't get around to wearing that little skirt until Alexander the Great. He would have worn that skirt so well on the big screen. He would have flipped it up and, <laughs> and we would shown have seen off his talent. We would have seen his butt <laughs> on the big screen. A yes, butt yes. 12 feet wide. <laughs> The biggest butt ever. Oh, man. Oh, so that was good. Um, speaking of which, I wanted to say that um, I saw Over the Hedge. Yeah. I went to see it, and um, it was a very, very good movie. I really liked it. Um, the animation was good. The story was good. Uh, I thought most of the voice actors did a really good job. I have to say, I was not impressed with Bruce Willis as one of the title characters. Mm-hmm. His voice and his his acting style is, is not... Um, big enough to be an animated character because voices for animation really relies on heavy characterization and the people who do really good animated voices tend to be character actors Mm -hmm. because they're just that extra inch more towards going over the line and it's very very hard to play straight and I think Bruce Willis just played a little bit too straight his character was good but his voice didn't quite live up to the the essence of what his character was supposed to be. And I wonder about that. I'm, you know, not a big one to rush out and see all the animated films by any means. But when I see the list of actors, and it's a big thing now for an actor to do animation. Mm -hmm. They love doing it. And they'll go in, and we've got, you know, um, Owen Wilson and Cameron Diaz. And and I'm going, but why? Yeah, because just to sell movies, obviously. Um, the, the, I, I've read a couple of interviews with people who do a lot of the voices for um, the animated shows that are on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, and they bitch a lot because the, those people that they choose for the, the main roles you know, are very highly paid, and they think that they're going to sell more tickets to movies, but they're not trained as voice actors, Mm-mm. and it, they don't, the people who do this for a living don't feel like it's, it's good. I read something once, um, it was an interview with a casting director who cast that sort of thing mm-hmm. and, and does casting for The Simpsons was one of the things I believe he did. And he was saying people come in or send him tapes showing that, you know, they can do Millhouse and they can do Homer and they can do all these people. And he goes, they don't understand. I don't want someone who can impersonate something. Mm-hmm. I want people who can create a character with their voice. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if, if, if you come in to me, to audition, I'm not interested in hearing you do your characters. I want to be able to say to you, okay, here's the script, and, um, you know, this is an accountant who's, mm-hmm. you know, who lives in, in uh, Atlanta, and, you know, I'll give them a background, and they're going to give me a full characterization mm-hmm. just on their voice. Yep, yep, that's what they need to do. And that's why I'm so puzzled when I'm going, Owen Wilson? Yeah, it, uh, a lot of times I, I think it just doesn't work. I have to say, um, in the Pixar movies, 
they've been pretty selective of who they have cast in in the, the lead roles, and I think they've actually done a really good job. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say, in the Toy Story movies, Tom Hanks was great. Yes, and and I think that was in large part due to his ability to push himself to go to this very out there acting style and mm-hmm. and really you know give a hundred and fifty percent and make the character through the voice be be bigger and and more um, fantastic than a straight acting job and when you know regular actors can do that I, I think it's great um, I just don't think Bruce Willis is one of those people no so the other people who did voices in the movies um, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara were very funny. Um, and they did, you know, their usual quirky job, and, and they weren't featured in it very much, but they were good. Uh, Gary Shandling had one of the other main roles, and he was okay. His character was supposed to be sort of low-key, and, and like Gary Shandling's typical character, sort of uh, neurotic and, mm-hmm. and worried too much, and, and that was all right. Um, so Bill's character was a possum. Uh, with a with a little daughter possum, they don't explain what happened to the mom, and he wasn't in it very much. But I thought he did a really good job in his little scenes, especially one scene where he has to um, pretend to be dead in front of a whole bunch of people in this housing development, and does this long, dramatic, like phased approach to dying, where he'll he'll as the a possum. I mean, he's like walking around and clutching his heart and kind of laying down to the ground, but then he starts up again. And, and, <laughs> You know, Bill's just going on and on, making all these, oh, oh, it's time, it's time. It was it was really good. And I thought um, in the scenes that he had with his little possum daughter, he also did a really nice job of, of being a dad. And, you know, you can tell that he was clearly drawing from his own life to do mm-hmm. it. So he was in it, um, and it was good. And I have to say, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to give it away, but there's one scene which is directly lifted from a Star Trek episode. It is so funny. It comes near the end of the movie, and it involves Hammy the squirrel, and what happens when he drinks a can of soda. And it is just—it was great. It was perfectly executed. It was really well done. And then there's Does this, Hammy do the Shatner swallow. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> um, and then right at the very end of the film, um, just—I think it's just as the credits are rolling. Um, the characters are arguing about something that they've seen on TV, and one of them compares it to a Star Trek episode and, oh, and cool. launches into this long explanation. Oh, which is like the Star Trek episode where this happened and goes on to like give all the plot details, <laughs> and the rest of them are all silent for a moment. They're like, well, thank you very much for that. <laughs> you know, it's really um, good. I think it must have been Toy Story, because I think I've seen almost none of the uh-huh. animated films in the past ten years, but I believe it was at the end they did like outtakes. Oh, those were so funny. And I loved that they went to the trouble to do, get a full animation and everything to make funny outtakes to have at the end of the movie. They're great. Those are brilliant. I love those. Um, This movie didn't have outtakes, but they did uh, do some funny animation while the credits were running. They had little jokes that are going Mm -hmm. along the side. So, and I, I think that there was supposed to be a little tag on at the end, but I, I didn't stay until the very end of the credits to see it. Well, speaking of animation, I learned something interesting this oh, yeah? week, and I'm going to give you a pop quiz. <gasps> Uh-oh. Oh, no. Who is the one actor who has been a voice in every single Pixar film? John Ratzenberger. <laughs> yes, you win. Yeah, he's their good luck charm. You you get another root beer float bar for Oh, good. I love that. That was delicious. <laughs> Surprise. Well, good for you. I'm glad you knew that. Yeah. Well, I used to live down the street from Pixar. Oh, I thought you were going to say from John Ratzenberger. 
really? No, no, no. No, I no, knew no. that. I knew yeah. that you lived near Pixar. Yeah. No, I, I've read a lot about Pixar. And yeah, they, they have him do a voice in everyone, even if it's only a small voice. Mm-hmm. as the little good luck charm. So I haven't seen Cars yet, but I'm planning on going to see it soon. But I can recommend Over the Hedge. The, um, the story is not quite as... Uh, what do I want to say, heartwarming as the typical Pixar film is. You know, something like Toy Story or Finding Nemo is, is very much about sort of family. And, and this movie is about family, too, but it's it, it's in a, a slightly less uh, heartfelt way, I would say. But that's okay. I mean, it doesn't make it less of a movie. Can I um, confess to a heresy? <laughs> yeah? I really, really hated Finding Nemo. <laughs> I mean, I hated hated that movie. It was noisy and unfunny and just a lot of shouting. <laughs> I didn't like it. Oh, that's okay. We okay. can we can disagree. Okay. Um is over the over the hedge is a Dreamworks, not a Pixar, is it? That's right. It? No, it's not Pixar. Okay. Um I was going to say something else about it. Oh, and I so totally threw you by hating Nemo, right? I know. I have to get back on track here. That's okay. Uh, there's there's a couple things in Over the Hedge that are clearly sort of homages to Warner Brothers type animation, where mm-hmm. it starts off fairly realistically, and then something completely outrageous happens, where the characters get zoomed off into space or something like that, which I thought was kind of fun too. Um, and the kids in the theater seemed to be enjoying it. And it had some really good music, too. So I was really happy about that. They used a Clash song at the very end over the credits. A Clash song performed by Ben Folds. Well, I, yeah, I heard <laughs> Ben Folds did the music for this or something. And that Bill was in one of the, the numbers or something. Not did in, a little small part? or mm, Not in any of the things that I saw. Mm, maybe you'll have to buy the album. Maybe. I'll have to see. <laughs> but anyway, Over the Hedge. Oh, and speaking of Over the Hedge, we had a little... Um, bit of an interview with Bill, because he's doing lots of publicity for the movie right now. Oops, let me see if I can just pull this up here. Come on. Uh, So this was uh, talking about uh, Shatner at the Cannes Film Festival. He discussed his role as pop star Avril Lavigne's father and his own singing career. Um, So I'll put up the link to this. This little thing was at the the Trek BBS, trektoday.com. Um, but he was talking about how uh, he had to do the voices a long time ago, several years ago, when the animators were starting to do the animation and um, re-recorded everything as the story evolved for the final film. Um, let's see. This was good. Asked why he thought Star Trek and Captain Kirk were still popular, Shatner joked that if he knew the answer, Paramount would seek me out right now for the next movie. Maybe the fact that 300 years from now will exist is so hopeful that people watch it. Um, and I think we talked about this once before. The reason how William Shatner changed the world was so named, he added, was because he was not allowed to use Star Trek or Captain Kirk in the title due to copyright issues with Paramount. So we had to use my name. It's a little embarrassing, but I've survived that. <laughs> he survived so much worse. He has. And you know what the weirdest part of it is? Reading this whole little article, mm-hmm. and you get down to the end, and it says, The full article appears in the Jakarta Post. Okay. So now we're getting news on William Shatner from Jakarta. I'm so I'm so glad. <laughs> That's bizarre. Why is it covered there? Because news of Bill is important everywhere. Are, are Indonesians really, really, really big fans of Shatner? Why should they be different from anyone else? <laughs> right? It's true. I just thought it was a little odd. 
So let's see. Um, do we have more stuff or shall we take our break? Let's take our break and go watch something. Oh, we're going to watch something and then we're going to talk about it. Wow, what a concept. <laughs> and you could watch at home, but we're not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> so you're just going to have to be in suspense. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Only thing we like better than William Shatner's butt is hearing from our listeners. Comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with Garage. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. You found the best podcasts in the universe. season of Star Trek. The last one they filmed. The last one they filmed. Yes. And um, for all that hype, you'd think it would have been a better episode. No. <laughs> because back then they didn't make a big deal about last episodes. That's especially true. shows that had low ratings. That's very true. Um, so I had been wanting to see this for a while because I hadn't watched it in forever. Probably the way, since it was on. it was Turnabout Intruder. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. Yeah, we're acting like everybody knows. Of course they know. So Turnabout Intruder, wherein um, Captain Kirk gets yanked out of his body and put into Janice Lester's body. An old girlfriend named Janice, of course. Of course. Um, And then the whole rest of the episode is um, him trying to get back in his body and prevent um, Janice from killing him. Right? Right. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. So um, what I had forgotten about this episode is that there's long periods where people are just talking to each other and it's really boring. Mm Mm-hmm. I just kind of, in my mind, glossed over that because, of course, the highlights of this episode are um, William Shatner letting the acting dogs out by playing <laughs> playing, the dogs playing a woman who's still Kirk. And, I mean, there, there were several scenes where it clearly went over the line from actual acting into camp, mm-hmm. and they let him do it and just let him do whatever he wanted to do. Right. I mean, I could see that... Whoever was directing this episode, and I, I don't remember who the director was, um, clearly had very little control over what Shatner was doing. <laughs> or what anybody was doing. Certainly no control at all over what the makeup and lighting people oh were doing. Oh my god. It looked horrible. Really, really bad. It was like it was filmed under naked light bulbs. 
There was no texture, no tone. It was no, terrible. Nothing. And the makeup. And Spock's eyebrows were, were drawn on with black magic marker. They were. And, and the hair was bad. Everybody's hair was bad. The makeup really looked like, you know, makeup that was done because they were they were running out of stuff. So they were, like, using up the last little bits of makeup down in the bottom <laughs> of the makeup thing. Even even a scene of shirtless Kirk was was pretty much ruined for me by the fact that the body makeup looked so bad. Oh yeah, and, you know? and there was some there was some very strange hair in this. We were noticing, Majel had a hair color we had never seen before, <laughs> and this this huge huge bouffant that made her look like a big drag queen because she's not a very she doesn't have feminine features uh-huh. anyway. So here she is looking really drag queeny. Then a few <laughs> scenes later. It's like what your hair looked like if you had it done and then went a couple days without ever washing it or yeah. combing it. It's just sort of flattened out. It deflated. It was yeah. like somebody let the air out of her hair. Yeah. It was so strange. And Janice Lester, this was one nice little bit of realism, although rather bizarre, was, um, okay, so, you know, she's sort of in sick bay and in bed and everything. And for the rest of the episode, she had bed hair. <laughs> she did. It was amazing. I've never seen anybody, certainly not on Star Trek, have bed hair. <laughs> It was very, <clears throat> very weird. Um, there were some good points at the beginning. It actually started off fairly strong with a lot of like semi-funny things to talk about. And I wrote a few things down. One thing I noticed was that the, the name of the planet was um, Camus 2. And I was wondering if that was like a Camus joke. Like existentialism or something like that. Probably not. It, it, it's not the best Camus joke No, I've it isn't. Heard. It really isn't. <laughs> but, you know, I just thought I would note that. Um, oh, and we were watching it on a videotape that um, you had made from when they were doing the special edition of, of Star Trek. And uh, they had Bill doing some commentary. And at one point during the commentary, he said something like it had become his favorite episode. Because he got to play a woman. I guess so. Okay. Well, I think he was trying to make the point that it was quite a challenge to mm-hmm. him because he was saying when they gave him the script and it says, and then the woman enters Captain Kirk's body, he was like, okay, how <coughs> do I do this? Mm-hmm. And you and I have both seen the videotape of, um, and I think this was probably done shortly after that was filmed, of um, him appearing on the Mike Douglas show mm-hmm. and talking about that mm-hmm. and sort of doing mm-hmm. a, a little bit of the, you know, the... The feminine acting, and it was, in some ways, it was a, it was a very interesting performance from that perspective mm-hmm. because it's not just that he, he he wasn't playing effeminate; he was playing a woman in a man's body, mm-hmm. and he was also playing an insane woman. Right, that was the added acting challenge there. Yeah. Um, the the th- I thought when when he wasn't being allowed to do the totally over the top things like oh I don't know filing his nail <laughs> totally cracks me it <laughs> is I mean it it is so funny and you can see and, okay <clears throat> wait it could have been worse he could have been arranging flowers that's true <laughs> or brushing his hair <laughs> a hundred strokes a hundred strokes <clears throat> but no he was filing his nails and you can see by the look on his face that he knows exactly what he's doing there mm-hmm. but there were other parts um where i thought his his body language was much more subtle and really good i mean mm-hmm. he thought he did a good job of showing how um stiff and uncomfortable janice is in his body mm-hmm. and not quite knowing how to hold himself and, and i like some of good. the little touches in the script like whenever he was called on the communicator or whatever 
he would never say Kirk here, which is what he always said. He would say Captain Kirk here. Yep. This is Captain Kirk of the Enterprise. Yep. Just always referred to himself fully mm-hmm. in a way that was unfamiliar. Yeah, I thought that was really good. And uh, there were, you know, um, small parts where uh, he would get caught out at not knowing some essential piece of information and, you know, trying hard to look like... Uh, he meant to do that or something, which I, mm-hmm. I thought was good um, without trying to, um, you know, make everybody really suspicious. But, of course, all of that falling really flat. And the scene, um, the first time that Janice takes the captain's chair. Mm-hmm. That was good. really good. That was really well done, yeah. Um, now, one thing that really did make the beginning of this episode great. Yes, what could that be? <laughs> what could that possibly be? Um, this is where the sound effects come in. Oy, 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 oy. <laughs> was that there was a huge EVE right in the opening scene, and we both went, oh my god, look at it, it's huge. And it was Kirklet. It was totally Kirklet, and it was so big that um, the special effect to show Janice and Kirk sh- tr- um, shifting bodies is that there's a little um, reverse out solarization sort of thing that happens, and it's even there. So it was kind of like that thing with the Shroud of Turin, <laughs> where the negative <laughs> image is, is like much more you know, mm-hmm. impactful than the, the positive one. And it was exactly like that. It was a, a negative image of Kirk, and there was the EVE right there on the, the screen. The EVE of Turin. It was, yeah. Wow. It was pretty cool. And there were a lot of EVEs and protrusions on his part. And there was, when, he, when Spock was on trial for mutiny, and Kirk's standing there questioning him in profile. He's this perfectly straight profile, except for this bump. <laughs> Sticking right out. And, uh, well, you were, you were pointing out that um, he was sick while they were making Yeah, he had, he had the flu. And I've heard people say, you know, oh, that, you know, the fact that he looked so feverish and everything really added to the performance. And I looked for that, and I never, never really see that. No, and he maintained an erection throughout. Yeah. Which is pretty That's impressive. a real man. <laughs> Because he knew that all, everybody was going to be looking for it. Yeah, they expected it. It's, it's um, yeah. testimonium fortuitous. <laughs> um, there were a couple of things that were a little silly that we didn't quite figure out. One is that um, after the body switch takes place and they're back up on the ship, he Kirk, so Lester in Kirk's body, is doing presumably a captain's log or a personal log and opens it by saying, well, now I've trapped Captain Kirk in my old body, <laughs> and I'm going to try and murder him somewhere along the line. It's like, this is going in the log? <laughs> and we decided that was the exposition that log. That was the exposition log. And subsequently, um, Janice Kirk in Lester's body does a captain's log as well in Janice Lester's voice. Like, where was she recording this? Because I, I didn't see her like... You know, I've been noticing, watching a lot of episodes recently, that um, the logs aren't really logs. They're like people's thoughts to bring us back from the TV commercial, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah, I think that that's true. But um, in, in this particular case, it, it was a little odd. Just a little odd. So what happened with the, the log that um, Lester and Kirk's body recorded? Like, how come they didn't offer that in as evidence at the trial? Because um, it wasn't really a log. Oh, it was just a dear diary? Yeah. Dear diary. Inner head. Today I got up and switched bodies with my old lover. <laughs> who I hate. Who, who I, I punished and tortured. tortured. Now I'm on the Enterprise and I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm the, the Enterprise. Um, 
um, there was another part uh, uh, that was just plain bad script writing, which I had never quite noticed before, because Spock and McCoy are talking about uh, Kirk acting rather irrational and uh, deciding what to do, and Spock says, now we are treading on thin ground. (laughs) (laughs) Who wrote that? Treading on thin ground. Maybe that is an actual Vulcan expression. <laughs> because there's what, like quicksand underneath? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. that, that must be it. That must be it. Oh, so, um, there's just, in the second, in the first half is where sort of all the action and fun stuff happens. And then in the second half, aside from Kirk um, getting to, to um, go all crazy and, and portray Lester's insaneness, there's just a lot of talking that happens. Um, Some of the talking, though, um, the one instance of of the talking that I really do like, and it's a good scene and it does move the plot forward, Mm -hmm. is um, Scotty and McCoy Mm -hmm. out in the hall during the the break from the trial. That's a really good scene, and it's it's well played, it's well paced. Mm They, well, they really, I think it's written well for the two of them because it seems Mm -hmm. like a conversation those two characters would have. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that was very good. Um. And um, I, I noticed that um, the other characters, despite the fact that they were in the scenes, like Sulu and Chekhov are there the whole time, and they don't do anything or say anything. Mm-mm. They don't. All, there's just a lot of reaction shots of them sort of nodding their heads at each yeah. other and elbowing each other in the ribs. And <laughs> we got to talk about when they decide they're not going to do an execution, they won't go along with it. <laughs> it's very reminiscent of explosive generation. It was exactly because first of all, they have a conversation just like kids would have. Right. Well, let's let's all stick together and not do it. You yeah. know? Are, are you going to do it? I'm not going to do it. Well, no, if you don't do it, I won't do it either. <laughs> And then when, you know, they won't respond to his orders and they're dead silent, I'm, I'm like, here now, the bongo music. <laughs> that would have been good. Um, so, yeah, there there was that part. And, um, of course, good triumphs in the end. And, and uh, the I guess the body transference thing didn't stick. <laughs> no, it didn't really work. you got to really kill the other body so that you you have nowhere else to go. Right. And, you know, I, as I was saying as we were watching it, they, they make this big deal of how completely unbelievable it is that there could be body transference between two people. And whereas this has happened in the last three years of Star Trek, maybe, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20 times. <laughs> exactly. Like, probably pretty recently, too. Like, it, just two episodes ago it happened. Yeah. They're acting like they've never come across this. So And never anything as weird as this. No, ever, no, ever. of course not. You know, they've got... Rocks that can write. <laughs> it was much more normal to be doing a transference between um, real life human beings and like brains in jars. Yeah, you know. <laughs> there, that was believable. <laughs> Nobody questioned that. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Oh well, we also noticed that um, Uhura was not in this episode, and mm-hmm. instead they had. Um, the communications officer played by Lieutenant Martine, who wasn't called Lieutenant she was Martine. Called Lieutenant Lisa. Lisa. Yeah, maybe that's her first name. Yeah. He just felt like calling her by her first name. And uh, she had kind of a weird accent in that one thing. It started to sound a little bit, um, oh, Adele from Guys and Dolls when she said <laughs> something like, Should I notify Starfleet? Oh, <laughs> Didn't she? A little bit? Yeah. About changing plans? She and Chapel had both visited the Valley of the Dolls hair salon. No kidding. Her hair was all over the place. It was like three cans of hairspray in her hair. Yeah, and I'm watching this going, 
This is 1969. Now, by 69, we were all pretty much, I think, over the big teased up, fluffed, yeah. sprayed to death hair. Well, see, Chapel got the message halfway through the episode. <laughs> just, she, she said, I have to start ironing my hair. And she did it right on her head. Ow, 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 ow. Chapel, as you pointed out, is so bad in this episode. Her uniform doesn't fit. Oh, she looks terrible. Her hair is awful. She has like three lines and she delivers them badly. And her reaction shots are terrible. Oh, man. So um, um, we definitely have to talk about um, the clothes, the costumes that they put on the woman playing Janice Lester, which did her no favors whatsoever. (laughs) They put her in a pantsuit with huge, wide, flary legs, which... I don't know, maybe they were thinking it would compensate or something, but she has a big, big ass. Mm-hmm. And that, the cut of that really accentuated it. Then they put her in a little blue mini dress with bows at the shoulder, <laughs> which apparently is what female patients wear in sick bay. Because you didn't see Gary Mitchell wearing that shit. No. No way. No way. <laughs> um, and that, again, just made her ass, you know, look humongous. Humongous. Not flattering at all. Although, you know, we can understand why Kirk would have been attracted to her, being impressed by her booty and all that. So, yeah. You know, props for him. Because he's got, he's got a big butt. Yeah. She's got a big butt. Well, and he thought, we could have some great little, good-looking big butt children. I'm, I'm sure. And they had, you know, the best year of their lives together for, for a whole year. Until they almost killed each other. Yeah. And all of that. And then that was that. Um, so do we want to talk about the strange feminist implications of this? Well, I wanted to ask you specifically about your interpretation of her line, which is, um, your world of starship captains has no room for women. Well, she said doesn't admit women. Oh, doesn't admit women. I'm sorry. Oh, my God, I misquoted it. I don't know. There are, you know, I mean, the the obvious interpretation, and I think the, the one that was intended by the script was they would not allow a woman to command mm-hmm. a ship. And even that's brought up later when they're saying, okay, if she is established to be Captain Kirk, Starfleet would not let her command simply because she is now a woman mm-hmm. and then Spock would be in charge. But, you know, over the years, fans are very uncomfortable with that whole aspect of it and have put a lot of different spins on it, such as, um, you know, that was that was... Janice, you know, fooling herself, thinking mm-hmm. it was because she was a woman when it was actually because she, she was a lunatic. <laughs> and, you know, if you look at little bits and pieces, she says, you know, our year together at Starfleet was the happiest of my life. And then she says, we could have roamed the stars together. You could almost interpret some of that as, you know, if we had gotten married, I could have been aboard the ship as your wife. Mm-hmm. But, but they don't let wives, you know, mm-hmm. captains have wives on the ship or anything. But she really obviously coveted the captaincy, mm-hmm. that's what she wanted. And I know in my fanfic, I've sort of straddled the line. I've written that it's, um, at least in that time period, it's still unusual for a woman to have a command. Mm-hmm. And that at that time, there are no women commanding starships, although there are women commanding lesser vessels. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's it's one of those things that, that now looks really dated and silly. And when you're looking at Star Star Trek is being so forward-thinking as far as, you know, being multiracial, multicultural, and not putting the usual stupid restrictions on, you know, that, that Sulu is not playing a busboy, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that he's playing the helmsman, and that it, Uhura isn't a step-and-fetch-it character. Um, it's kind of uncomfortable 
to go, but but they still have these stupid restrictions on what women can do. Mm-hmm. But you know, you see that throughout the episode. This this is the most blatant. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that uh, you have Rand sort of being a waitress, and then the the oh man, one of the female characters at one point, you know, a one shot was leaving the ship to get married or something, and Kirk makes some remark about, well, I'm not, you know, losing an officer. I'm come to think of it, I'm losing an officer or something. But the whole idea was that. A woman would get married and give up her career mm-hmm. because that's what you did back in 1962 or whatever <laughs> when Gene Roddenberry was coming up with his ideas. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? I, I agree with you. I, I think that had to be the, the meaning of it when they wrote it. It is nice to think that you can take the language and massage it a little bit to make it mean something else. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to play by those rules necessarily. Um, and you do have to factor in... in the the fact that she's insane <laughs> so there there's something in that as well um it, it it would be interesting to know more about their relationship um because given some of the other women that we know that he's been involved with um it does seem like with the time that they were together she was probably a very strong and very intelligent woman that he respected and maybe felt challenged by. You know, I think we get some of that. Um, you were talking about seeing court-martial, and I think that was part of his thing with Ariel Shaw, is that mm-hmm. she was very smart and, you know, being a lawyer and all that. Um, well, I kind of think Carol Marcus was sort of the non-insane Janice mm-hmm. Lester. That's true. I think that's probably true. And I think that the issues in that relationship, um, which were that she had her own career, her own world, and she wasn't going to give it up. Mm-hmm were very similar to the issues in the relationship with Janice Lester. Mm-hmm. And I think in the, you know, in, in that way, I, I think that's, that's part of Kirk is that if you're going to be in his life, either as a friend or as a, you know, a girlfriend, a lover or whatever, you accept him on his own terms, mm-hmm. that there isn't a lot of compromise there, yeah. that there just isn't. Yep. The enterprise comes first. Always does. Always. Yeah. Oh, I, I do want to mention before I forget that I thought, uh, the woman who was playing Janice Lester did also a very good job of being Kirk when Kirk is in mm-hmm. Lester's body and, and really conveying um, some of the body language and, and just some of the way that the dialogue was delivered. She wasn't trying to do the Shatnerian pauses or anything, no. which was good. I'm really glad they didn't let her do that. Um, but her delivery was very um, sort of calm and rational and, and trying to get across the... the the captainliness of her. Right. And also when she was um, bluffing Nurse Chapel, mm-hmm. uh, that was very Kirkian. Yeah, very, very. So I, I thought that that was, that was good acting. Um, and boy, was Spock being bitchy or what? Well, he was upset about his makeup. <laughs> well, Captain, <laughs> if you are the Captain. It's like, whoa. <laughs> he was <clears throat> totally being a bitch. He was. McCoy looked about a thousand years old. Ugh. I just cannot stress enough how bad the lighting and makeup was in this. Everybody just, they they all looked more than tired, which I'm sure they mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the, the last episode and they worked very hard and very long hours. But, you know, nothing was doing them any favors. No, no. And they were probably getting bologna sandwiches from craft <laughs> services at this point. 
stale ones. Just get us out of here. <laughs> it's the last episode. We want to go home. We're just so tired. I also noticed that um, in many of the scenes, uh, clearly there were um, they had filmed some reaction shots, especially of Kirk, that did not match in any way, shape, or color the scenes that they were supposed to be in. It was like a different background. His hair looked completely different. Yeah. Just really, really bad job of... of uh, making it all fit together. So it's kind of too bad that the last episode couldn't have been something a little better. I thought it was an interesting idea. I wonder, you know, when they knew that they weren't going to be renewed, which I understand was sort of halfway through the third season. I don't know because I have heard conflicting reports. Again, I, um, I've heard that they were pretty sure they weren't going to be renewed, but that they weren't told until after they had finished all the filming. Really? And then I've heard, no, that they did know like a few episodes early. And so they were just sort of, you know, going through the paces mm-hmm. or something. I don't really know the truth of know. it. Well, maybe the writers or the, the producers knew before the actors actually mm-hmm. did. But, um, you know, you got to wonder with an episode like this, if they knew that they were going to be renewed, would they have even bothered to do it, given that the premise is, is a little a little out there? They did Spock's brain. <laughs> That's true. They did those damn hippies. Yeah, that's true. It was the third season, after all. Hmm. So, do we have anything more to say about that? Well, I will say that this was not the last episode to be shown, Mm -hmm. because they were shown out of order. The last episode was Requiem for Methuselah, and in that way they did go out on Mm -hmm. an up, (laughs) meaning it is the the biggest, hugest, most evident, eye-popping EVE (laughs) ever. It is it is a veritable fest, feast even of EVEs in that episode mm-hmm. because remember there's a good scene with um all three of them Spock and McCoy showing right all there. showing but I mean when he Ugh. walks across the room with the what's the android's name I was gonna say Andrea and that's an entirely different android now I'm thinking her name's Peggy and I know it's not <laughs> but she Peggy looks like it. Great when he and Peggy walk, Raina, <laughs> Raina, I like Peggy better. When he and Peggy walk, <laughs> uh, you know, from the pool table over to where they're going to dance. Yes, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, oh man, my God. it is, it is a visible erection. It is fully erect. It is pulsing in his pants. <laughs> and at one point, if you pause at the exact same point, right point. It is at, or he is holding the pool, cue. the pool cue at the exact same angle as his dick. Yeah. And I went, oh, that's acting. Yeah. Just using his props to their full advantage. <laughs> and Bill do love his props. He loved a business. Yeah. He liked business. He loved all that business. It was great. <laughs> Hence the nail file. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, there we go. Turnabout intruder. I know it could have been even worse than brushing his hair. What? Brushing a little dog's hair. Oh. <laughs> in a basket, right? Yeah. In a, in a purse. Of course. Yeah. He could have been crocheting, doing macrame. <sighs> they probably ran through all that, you know. He could have had a facial mask <laughs> on. <laughs> With cucumbers over his eyes. <laughs> Space cucumbers. <laughs> they would have had tentacles. <laughs> to talk to him and he's there wearing his silk robe, right? Yeah. And his fuzzy slippers with his hair up in it. And he goes, ah, don't look at me! He's wearing a snood. 
have been great. That, yeah. That would have been, yep, pretty great. <laughs> oh, man. So, <laughs> let's, <clears throat> let's talk about one more thing. Okay. Um, this is uh, getting back to fanfic recommendations. So this time around, we have a really good fanfic to recommend to you. And we've talked before about um, our friend Wildcat, who writes um, Spock over a fiction and has written... Do you know how many stories she's written in that series? Is it 20? Is oh, it no, there's more than 20. More than 20, okay. I think there are more than 20. And her stories are, are long. Mm-hmm. These are not... This isn't a series of drabbles by any means. No, no. They're, they're long and complex and textured and tie into canon in really, really interesting ways and um, do an excellent job of characterization yep. on the whole. And so um, the last one before this one was a while ago. It was a couple of years it, ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she and I have both slowed down substantially. Oh. But, um, yeah, uh, prior to this, this one being posted, the, the one before it had to be like, a year and a half or so. And the one before it was uh, the story as they've grown older and Uhura dies in that story. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, Wildcat writes it without being manipulative, without, you know, it, she's not going to, she's not determined to wring every last tear out of you. Mm-hmm. And it would have been so out of character for Spock to be involved in a scene like that. And she does a beautiful job. So now she has recently posted this, the sequel to that, although you could say these are all sequels yeah. to each other. Yeah. And it's called The Waking Man. Mm-hmm. And it is about um, Spock's experience a few years later as he is, you know, coming out of the grieving process mm-hmm. and entering into a new phase of his life. Yeah. So it's, it's a story that um, is sort of, uh, I don't want to say it crosses over to TNG, but it has ties to... Um, episodes that happened in TNG where we saw Sarek, mm-hmm. who was afflicted with a, this disease called Bendai Syndrome, where he was losing control of, of his control, um, and his emotions were starting to get the better of him, and in this story we see the very beginnings of that, and how they deal with it, and we get to meet um, Sarek's wife, whose name is Perrin. Who and she's she was in a, an earlier right. story, one or two of them, because in, in Wildcat's universe, at least, um, Sarek did marry her in in that particular time frame. Right. And I think in in this one we get to see her be um, a right bitch, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much. Um, so that that is more fully developed. And we see McCoy, and I love the way she writes McCoy in this story. Yes. He's so good. Um, and, and there's a, n- a new original character that gets introduced as well. And it, there's a plot besides the Spock relationship story. There's another plot that's happening at the same time that has to do with Romulans, which was also something that, that got developed more in TNG when we saw Spock later in life. And this is typical of Wildcat stories. They are very, um, they're very fully developed in that they, they are never the, the simple, okay, it's about this one thing or mm-hmm. this one character's experience. It's, there are always, as you said, tie-ins to canon, but there are always two plots, two stories mm-hmm. moving and, and weaving in together with each other. And it's really remarkable writing. Uh, the other character who appears in almost all of these stories is Savick. Mm-hmm. And Wildcat, when she wrote the first of these stories, was when Savick was a little girl. Yeah. And we, there were several stories with little Savick, and it's a, it's a unique and wonderful characterization. And so every time grown-up Savick appears in the stories... You could still see, Definitely. you know, a little bit of that in there, and yeah. 
it, and it's so nice. I mean, uh, it have, having it been so long since the last story, I had sort of forgotten what had been happening in Savick's mm-hmm. life. But there's her and her husband and her kids and her and grandkids. And yeah. there's a whole little flock of them running around. And they sort of appear in different parts. And it's really nice to just see that going on, that there's mm-hmm. a family going on there and continuing. Yeah. So uh, all of that was good. So I will post the link to this story. And it's called The Waking Man. And it's available... Um, at Wildcat's site that has all the rest of her fiction on it. So if you want to read this story, you can read it as a standalone story Mm -hmm. if you just know what the plot is. Um, But I would encourage you, if you have time, to go back and and read the other stories. And she has written more other than just Mm -hmm. Spock, who are there, other things, but that sort of turned into her specialization. And now... um, in places where you see new writers coming along and uh, and new fanfic being posted, um, there are other people now who write Spock Uhura, and I think that's she she made that believable, she made that realistic, mm-hmm. and when you she's so good that when you read these stories, you start looking at the episodes, watching mm-hmm. for things to happen, and especially her. I think her biggest accomplishment, really, to me is she wrote a series, I think it's three stories, that are part of a suite called the Kobayashi Maru. And these stories take place in the movie time frame. Mm-hmm. And the way she ties in everything that happens in those movies into her stories and does it so well that I I have been her beta reader among, you know, she's got a couple of people, but I'm, I've read all of them. And I swear to you, I get to read the stories numerous times because of this. And I'll read them, and there are things in it that I'm not even sure. Is that from the movie? Or did <laughs> she put that little bit in? You know, because it's that smooth. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and she's just she's a wonderful writer. Her language is so nice, mm-hmm. and you know the the characterizations are really true. And it's not as you're saying. I mean, it's not angsty, and it's not mopey, and it doesn't. You know, it, it's not. Um, what what some people think of when they think of fan fiction, which is like overwritten purple prosy, right. not like that at all. And and the nice thing is, um, I read something recently. It was talking about how Vulcans are portrayed in, in in later treks, and they were saying something like, "You only have to see how Vulcans are portrayed in Voyager and things like that, and in Enterprise, to realize how good Nimoy was mm-hmm. at playing emotion without showing emotion, and she writes him that way, mm-hmm. that the emotion is there, but it is never overt. It is it is the written version of mm-hmm. Nimoy's performance. Yeah, it really is. It, it really is. And, and I, one of the things I loved about her Spock in this particular story was that um, he, he he's the guy that we've come to know as being rational and level-headed, and he's obviously been through so much. And, and he makes a decision that he's going to go after something. And boy, is he annoying when he wants to go after this. <laughs> and that's sort of, and I mean, in the way, it, it's funny because we just saw this episode of Turnabout Intruder. And when he he's being dogged and going after a mm-hmm. point, he can be really annoying and bitchy about it in yep. this episode. And in the story, it, it's that same sort of dogged perseverance against all odds. Like, won't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he can be really annoying like that. But it's it's never in a way that you know, makes you not want to read about him because you want to see where this is going to go and how that's going to happen. But I, I just love that she took that aspect of his character and made it really work in this story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we give that one a big thumbs up. We do. 
So let's see. Um, was that everything we wanted to well, talk about? Well, there's one about? last little thing, and I'm just going to mention it because okay. I don't really have the complete story. But this was, there has been a little bit of talk on the net about this, that there is going to be a fan film, fan miniseries. I'm not sure what it is, but there is some involvement with the people who do New Voyages. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not acting in it. Someone else is producing this and apparently wanted their involvement because they have a lot of Trek expertise and they're supplying some props and everything. And some of the original cast, quite a few in fact, have um, signed on to do this, playing you know older versions of themselves. And in the case of Tim Russ, he'll be playing young Tuvok, but we'll see... Um, I believe it's Sulu and Uhura and really? um, Harriman. Oh, really? <laughs> so it's a post um, Undiscovered Country wow. uh, Beginning yeah. of Generations movie. And um, part of the interesting discussion that I was sort of reading, and I wish I had better information for you guys at this point, but I don't, is um, they're saying, well, if this is something you know that's going to be distributed on DVD or whatever, Aren't they really going to get in, in, in trouble with Paramount? Because, mm-hmm. oh, this is the other thing we should talk about, too. Um, front page of the New York Times last Sunday had an article on fan films. Mm-hmm. And the the quote they had gotten from Paramount was, you know, as long as nobody's making money off the thing, we're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and these things are posted on the... The net, you can download them, mm-hmm. and you can view them for free. So there's been some fan discussion about, well, isn't this pushing it? And the guy, James McCauley, who plays Captain Kirk <laughs> in the... Elvis Kirk. Yeah, Elvis <laughs> Kirk, in the New Voyages, actually posted to the discussion um, explaining what their role was in this and, um, and you know, specifically what their agreement mm-hmm. with Paramount is. And I guess from the time they first conceived this, they contacted Paramount... Because, you know, you don't want to go to all the trouble making this sure. film and just getting sued over it. Mm-hmm. So it's real interesting. I think Paramount is taking the view that, okay, there is no Star Trek going on. They're keeping the, the franchise mm-hmm. alive um, in a much bigger, much more uh, visible way than fanfic did during those early years. But it will be very interesting to see if these things become in any way competition for the real product <laughs> when they when they decide to you know revive it again either with the J.J. Abrams movie or a new series mm-hmm. or whatever they decide to do with it. I don't know. I, I guess it depends on um, how sustainable the fan stuff is because it's a huge time suck and it's lots of money and nobody's getting paid for it and they're just you know all doing it out of the love of the show. Um, you know this the episode of um, New Voyages that uh, Walter Koenig is in is number three, right? Number three. I believe so. Yeah. And uh, they're putting them out at the rate of one every two years or so. Well, more, <laughs> more than that, like, but, I mean, more often yeah, than that. Yeah, but, it, but... I mean, it's taking them longer and longer, I think, to, to put these together and put them out. So it, it I think that is going to be a huge part of it. If there, If it's an episode that comes out once a year, how how many people are going to stick around and mm-hmm. wait for that to come out once a year? And how long can you, as a group of individuals, keep doing this? Right. When it's taking up all of your spare time. And, and some of them, from what I understand, and I really think I've only seen New Voyages. I haven't seen the others 
any of the others yet, but there are more. There's a Swedish one, and there's one by, done by a bunch of people in upstate New York. Um, some of them, I guess, are very, very amateurish. Mm-hmm. And New Voyages certainly does have some aspects of professionalism mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. But this is the thing I have to wonder about is when you get to Kay appearing in these things, and William Wyndham, these are union actors. Mm-hmm. They are not supposed to ever, ever work for free. So what? what is, and, you know, D.C. Fontana, she's a member of the Writers Guild. Mm-hmm. Are they supposed to work for free? I don't know. You know, so is it, is the deal only the producers cannot make money yeah, out of this? Really. But if you want to pay other people to do this with you, you can. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I suppose we'll find out more um, as this happens. I'm trying to remember in, in all those um, interviews with Koenig about New Voyages. I don't think he said anything about whether he got paid or not. Either. I have not heard a word about no. that. Mm-hmm. It would be it would be good to know. Well, I'll tell you what. If we should ask him. When we go to Creation Con. Oh, yeah. We should totally ask Right after we ask them if they play play their their own own instruments. instruments. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be question on the list. Okay, let's ask them. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a great idea. That's an actual question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like an information gathering question as Mm -hmm. opposed to a question meant to provoke and and, uh, enrage. Like, do you you play your own instrument? I don't think he'd even get it. No, probably not. Probably not. It'd be pretty funny if he did, though. It would. Did you know that Davy Jones sang at the eBay Live thing? I read about that. <laughs> did, didn't he sing like I'm a Believer or something? Yep, he did. Yeah. But nobody <laughs> believed it. <laughs> Davy Jones. Okay. I think we're done. I think we're done. Um, for now, kids. For now, and there'll be more episode watching and, and more other things to review. Of course, we have about a bazillion bill things that we haven't even started to look at. Um, and maybe by next time we'll have that new intruder. So we can do our... Uh, I'm sorry, impulse, not intruder. Right. So we can do our, our uh, impulse-a-thon. <laughs> that would be cool. 